Amen. Uh, Caitlin, absolutely beautiful singing song. You got quite the gift. It was very good, very good. Well, hey, we're glad you guys are here. If you got little ones and you're worried about them making noise, please don't. I take that as amen every time they shout out and make noise. And to be honest, they do better than some adults at the opportunity when to do that. So I'll take it with a heartbeat anytime. I love it. Absolutely love it. I, I do want to echo what Matt said. I just want to uh, just, man, recognize, uh, one, just all the work did for our thing on Friday. That was such an amazing thing. Lacey, for all the coordinating organizations, she did an amazing job. And Matt, for the vision for this whole thing, I mean, had a heart of how can we minister to our community, and even more so just the volunteers that came out. We had a great showing. And so thank you so much. I can't praise that enough if you forgot we had a vision for our church to develop faithful followers, reach our community, and multiply the church. And, and that was such an, an amazing opportunity to actually reach our community. Our community is a hard one to reach. But having stuff like that where they come and see God's people loving them, encouraging them, providing for them, just showing that we care about them, man, that, that is what we're about. And so thank you so much for doing that so well. Uh, so uh, looking forward to more things in the future. Well, if you have your Bibles, we will continue in Ecclesiastes. We'll be Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Uh, I noticed today more people are sitting farther away. Is that because I brought a water gun last time? Like, y'all getting scared to sit the front row? I mean, Bradley took a little bit of a chance up here. Uh, might shoot him uh, later with it. Who knows? Who knows? Second service you missed. I actually did shoot someone in the second service with a water gun because the kid's falling asleep over here, so I had to snap him back to reality. So you never know what you're going to get in church. Uh, so we're going to jump into Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and as we're getting there, I want to ask this question for discussion and more just for my own personal entertainment, if I will. At your house, here's my question, at your house, who is the boss? <laughs> wow, Jan, that's a little too loud. Everyone heard that one up here. Who's the boss, and why do you say that? Real quick, the people next to you, you can answer that question. Who's the boss, and why do you say that? Uh, husbands, if you're sitting next to your wives, I would encourage you to be very prudent in your discussion right now. Um, so go ahead, take a second, answer that question. Who's the boss and why do you say that? Why is everybody looking at Dale right now? I don't understand this. So. <laughs> you're going to love my quote here in a minute then. All right, uh, you guys got a little discussion. Kids, I need you to help me out real quick. Okay, do me this favor. Help me out. Uh, would you do me a favor? If your dad is the boss in your house, would you raise your hand? If you would say your dad is the boss, raise your hand high. Okay, a few of you guys, a few of you guys. All right, if you would say your mom is the boss of the house, raise your hand. Oh, look at there. No, I mean, okay. <laughs> no surprise there, right there. No. Uh, if... You are the boss of the house. Raise your hand high. If you would say, okay, that's what I thought. That's what I thought right there. Uh, man, there's going to be some fighting on the way home, I can see right now. You might not discuss the sermon, but you're going to discuss that question for sure. Uh, my wife loves one of her favorite movies of all time. It's a movie that came out in 2002 called My Big Fat Greek Wedding. I don't know if any of you have seen that. And my wife loves quoting over and over again this quote in the movie where uh, you had this very patriarchal-driven family, this Greek family, and they're preparing for this wedding, and the daughter uh, uh, is just, Tula, is just crying her eyes out because her dad won't let her do this, and her mom comes up and says to her, says, hey, honey, I want you to understand, the man is the head of the house, but the woman is the neck, and she tells the head which way to turn. <laughs> my wife quotes that to me all the time, and I don't understand why. But maybe I should, I don't know. 
Uh, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, yes, the head uh, controls the thoughts and everything else, but ultimately it feels like there's something else directing what it looks like, the attention it gets, and everything else going on. And as I quote that and bring that up, I want to just process with you real quick. I mean, isn't this how life in general feels sometimes? Like we like to tell ourselves we're in control, we're the boss, but yet it seems like there's something else controlling what's going on in our life. Like as much as we try, we, there's something else turning the head which way to go. Does it ever feel that way to you? Like we want to believe we're in control, but in reality, are, are we? Are we really in control of what's going on? Like think about some of these questions. Like why is it that I can do everything right and yet still struggle in life? But why is that? Why is it I can follow and be prudent with the way I live and yet still outcomes just don't come the way I expect it to be? Why is it that I can handle my finances well and still lose everything in what's going on? Some of you guys have felt that and dealt with that in this whole awkward season right now. Like, why is it that I can be a model employee at my work and still get laid off when the economy goes south or get passed over for a motion that I think I should get and someone else that doesn't seem to deserve it? Well, why is it that I can exercise, not me, but other people can exercise and work very hard at that and yet still have all sorts of health-related issues? Like, well, why does it feel like even though I try, there still seems to be no control in what goes on within my outcome? Uh, That may not be a question that hit home with you, but there's some in your own life that you can probably relate to that says, I just don't feel in control, which begs the question that I want to ask today is, who's in control? That's a question that Ecclesiastes kind of addresses today. Now, now, most of us would say God, and that's, that's our church answer, and that's what some would say. But there's a dilemma that our world faces with this question, if, if God's in control. You see, option one is, if God's in control, then I must just be a cog in this world, and he is cruel and unjust because we see all sorts of wickedness. We see unrighteous proper all sorts of around us, right? And so that's the dilemma the world says. Or, or option B is I'm in control, God is not in control, and there is either no God or, or uh, there's not the one that we claim to worship, right? And so that's the world that comes and said, and many atheists will come and tell you it has to be one or the other. It can't be. But, but Christianity comes and presents an option C, a kind of a different approach, a different way of thinking of it, is that this, is that in the end that God is sovereign, And you say, well, what's the difference between that? Well, God is sovereign means at the end of the day, God is the final authority on all matters of the world in life. Like nothing can go through without him giving approval or denial to what's going on. Think of the situation with Job when he comes to him and Satan comes and says, listen, I want to go after this dude right here. And he can't do it without God and says, listen, you can do this, but you can't do this. Like everything is ultimately under his authority. Like God's sovereignty, I think, means this, and you have to understand it means out of his authority, he can change anything he wants, and sometimes he does to ensure his will and his plans come to fruition. But in the same breath, you have to understand this, that out of his sovereignty, uh, sorry, God's sovereignty means that out of his love, he often does not. He can enact, he can do stuff, but in his love, he doesn't. You say, well, how is that loving? How is it loving that God does nothing? When I was nine years old, my brother got in a car crash drinking and driving and died from it when he could have lived in a very sad situation. I had myself like, why, if God is loving, why didn't he save my brother? Like, why didn't he stop this? And the truth is this, is at the end of the day, as we live in a fallen world and in free will that we have, God sometimes has to allow things to enact and go throughout the way they follow through. In other words, New American Commentary said this, if judgment instantly followed every sin that there would be no scope for free will, faith, and perseverance of the saints in spite of difficulties. 
You see, the reality is for there to be free will and for us to have choice, for God to allow us to live our life and to choose him or reject him, there has to be consequences for those actions. And if God removed every consequence of what happened, then there would be no choice in the matter. You see, it's the most loving thing to do in some situations. But I can tell you as a nine-year-old kid, when my brother died, that still didn't fully wrap my mind around it. It makes sense to me. I didn't have an extreme sense of comfort that, and I'm not expecting you to be comfortable with my answer in that. And I'll tell you something. Christianity has wrestled for a long time with this whole thing. As a matter of fact, there's two major camps on God's sovereignty. You have Calvinism and Arminianism. And before you get excited or freaked out, no, I'm not going to tackle that right here, right now. It has been a very divisive thing in the church. And if that's confusing to you, let me show you a picture that summarizes in its worst, most simplest form possible is in this shirt right here. Go ahead and show that picture. Oh, there it is. Arminianism says, I chose this shirt. Calvinism says, this shirt chose me. Atheism says, there is no shirt. Hopefully you kind of follow along with what that means and how that process. And to be honest, Christians have struggled with this whole idea is who's in control, but can I just tell you, just land you on some common ground that they both land on. You see, the first thing I want to say real quick is this, common ground, is they both say God is sovereign. In other words, God directs the world according to his will. The, the degree to how much is debatable, do you understand? But they both agree on that. They both agree that at the end of the day, we are accountable for our actions, we're held accountable for our actions and response, but the degree to how much, again, is debatable in that. And that's where the two different camps struggle with. And for me to come up here and tell you in an articulate way and say this is the way it is would completely nullify that it is a sensitive topic and difficult to address. And so I encourage you to rest with that, but I will not let that be a divisive situation in the church. See, at the end of the day, when we come to our big idea, and we're going to read in Ecclesiastes 3, is this, is that God is in control, but I'm accountable. And I want to unpack that for you. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 through 15. So hopefully you're there. If you're not, uh, you can follow along with what I'm reading. Ecclesiastes 3, chapter, one, uh, ch- sorry, chapter 3, verse 1 through 15. It says, there's an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. You see, time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. That's a weird one, right? Many commentators actually say this is actually an agricultural sort of thing. To plow a field, you would have to remove stones from it so you could cultivate the field and grow crops. But yet, if you had enemies to attack your property, your land, what you would do is you would grab stones and throw them in the field to make them unusable to other foreign people coming in. And so that's kind of what that means in many regards. It says, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. You see, what does the worker gain from his struggles? I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. You see, he has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. I know there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life or his good life. It is also a gift of God that whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. You see, I know that everything does, that God does will last forever, and there's no adding to it or taking away. See, God works so that people will be in awe of him. You see, whatever is has already been, and whatever will be already is. And however, God seeks justice for the persecuted. 
Now, it's interesting. He comes and says, listen, there's, there's ultimately a time for everything. And what makes it even more interesting is you see these things. Like, does God want these things to take place? No, that God doesn't want killing. God doesn't want hatred. God doesn't want all this sort of stuff. But the truth is, in a fallen world, these things are present. Would you not agree with that? You see that going on. And these are seasons of life that ultimately we, we can't escape. They're the truth that comes with free will and the decisions of fallen man that we face and we have. The dilemma is that everyone is going to face one of these things. Our dilemma with this text that I think he unpacks and talks about is this. He says, ultimately, is there's a time in everyone's life that we're going to face one of these things. And yet we spend too much of our time trying to control the things that we ultimately have no control over. Right? I would love it if my brother didn't die, but truth, death is going to come to us all. I would love it if I never hated someone, but sometimes I can't help it. That's stirring up in my heart and stopping that. I don't believe we should go to war, but sometimes there's things that are worth fighting for and causes worth going after, aren't there? It's the truth of the fallen world we live in. It's the seasons of life we can't stop. And the problem is we spend so much time trying to stop the seasons or control the seasons that ultimately what he's saying in the second half, we're going to spend a lot of time unpacking, is we relinquish the control of the things that we actually can control. Follow this, listen. We spend so much time trying to control our seasons of life that we neglect the one thing we can control, which is our actions and our responses to what's going on in our life. And we allow whatever to control that. And he says, listen, that's, that's the thing you actually have control over, yet you, you just give that up to a whim to just whatever life gives you. You spend all your life trying to control these other things. And it's a difficult situation. See, the takeaway ultimately is this. Stop pretending to be in control of things you are not and start taking control of things that you actually are. You, you do have control of something. You do have a responsibility. You see, the truth is we face these sort of things. God being sovereign does not mean that he put these things in motion and he wants these things to happen. It means he sometimes has to allow it and to make sure his plan comes through. He sometimes acts and sometimes he doesn't. And there are things in that that I will never fully comprehend. I'll never comprehend. And I hope someday I stand before the Lord and he can help me understand, hey, why, why did my brother have to die? And I still may not have the answer, but I have to come to a point where I trust in God's sovereignty. And so let's unpack how do we respond, how do we control the things we actually have control in these seasons. And so he begins by verse 1 through 11, unpacking all these seasons. There's a time for all these things. You will face all these things. Some face them longer, but ultimately we can't escape these things. And so ultimately the first thing you look at is there's a sense of responsibility to just be present in whatever season we're in. Now listen, it's hard for us to say, I don't want to come say just enjoy hating people, enjoy death and enjoy those sort of things, but sometimes we have to accept the reality that we are in a season that is uncomfortable and difficult to grasp. I was so busy of wanting to live outside of my hatred and other stuff that I forgot to say, you know what, I need time to mourn right now and to be hurt. It's okay to cry. I, I struggle with that sometimes, man. If I'm hurting or if I'm, if I'm someone I've lost, I'm just trying to escape those feelings and pretend it didn't happen and just say, you know, it's going to stop. But the reality is I need to mourn in that season. And yet sometimes in joyous seasons, I have trouble just being present and really celebrating what is good in my life right there. He's saying this. He's saying quit trying to avoid the seasons of life. Don't, don't just say, like, I'm, I can't wait for this to come. I can't wait for war to come. But, but quit acting like it's not going to happen to you. The, the way I best understand this is from a movie my kids love called Inside Out. Have you guys ever seen it? Love the movie. If you don't know, haven't seen it, it's about this character um, in there. And this inside, she has all these emotions. You have joy, anger, disgust. You've got sadness and fear. They're controlling her life. And yet the most pivotal character in the whole movie is this character named Joy. And she's constantly trying to control every situation because 
Everything in life to her has to be driven by joy. If you don't have joy, you're not going to live. You don't have it. And so they have these memories, these little balls you'll see in a second that come up, and, and they're memories that kind of, of what's going on in their life. And they believe that these core memories you get, that ultimately, if these are core memories are foundational, they drive your life. And if you, you can't have anything else be foundational in your life except for joy. And I want you to watch the scene as she comes to this reality. Go ahead. such an amazing picture. It's a situation where she thinks everything is so dependent on her, like everything in life should be wrapped up in joy, and if you don't, you're just not going to live life, and you're not going to grow, you're not going to be anything, but she's so focused on joy that she neglects the value of sadness and what came from that. I mean, think about your own life, what's going on, like my hardest thing is life, I'd never wish on my kids or anybody, but ultimately, how much have I grown from those sort of things? I mean, I'm grateful for those things. I mean, even think about this, like think about just being present even in your season of life. Like what was your best season of life you can remember having? For me, looking back, man, high school, I'm like, man, high school was such a great time. I met my girlfriend who's now my wife and we went to, we loved being in a youth group. That was such a pivotal time. And college, I remember going to college, everyone was like, college is the best. And I went to college, man, I loved college. It was a great time. I enjoyed it. I think about my time, my last church, I mean, some of the greatest friendships I've ever had were in Chickasha, man, great time, but can I tell you, I never enjoyed those seasons of life until I got past them, and I look back and I go, man, that was a good time, but I was so focused on getting on to the next hurdle, moving on, I'm moving on, that I failed to just be present and be intentional with where I'm at and joy. And he says, listen, there's seasons of life, and no, we don't want to just run into these seasons, but we also need to learn to be present with where we're at. And so that's what he unpacks in one verse, verse 1 through 11. But then he goes on even more. He says, don't just be present. You have a responsibility also to be intentional in your seasons of life. Look what he says in the second part of verse 11. He says, he has put eternity in their hearts. No one can discover the work that God has done from beginning, but he has put eternity in their hearts. He says, listen, there's something in you that groans for something more, that there's something that I just can't find the word, this world. And everyone searches for it. They look for it in other things. We look for it in the next season of life, and reality is God's like, no, that's something of heaven, that's something of me that you long for, and you won't ever fully grasp it, but ultimately God wants us to pursue that and be intentional. It's not something to grasp, it's something to be strived for. That longing for more keeps eternity in perspective. 
Like reality is in my season of life and what I go through, I need to keep intentional realizing, listen, what I'm going through right now, I need to embrace and say, listen, I'm going to be active and focused, but I'm going to be intentional understand that there's eternity in mind and there's something going to come that I get to look forward to and I'm not going to get so focused that I miss out that God might want to do something in and through me right now. As a matter of fact, in verse 12, what does he say? He says, I know there's nothing better than what? To rejoice and enjoy the good life. Do you realize rejoicing and enjoy, both those things, are attitudes of choice, not impulse? Like, they're not impulsive, like, to find, just rejoice. It's something that you have to choose to do in those seasons. We have a responsibility to be intentional, say, you know what? I, that, that's what points people to Christ, is in the darkest seasons, in the best seasons, we keep our mind and our focus on eternity. We keep our responses focused on God. It's what the Bible Project said in this. Listen to what they said. I love the Bible Project. They said, you don't have control over anything except your attitudes in the present moment. You can't control death. You can't control joy. You can't control all these sort of things, but you can control your response in those moments. I can't control war and what's going on in my life, listen, but I can control and be intentional in those moments. And so we have responsibility to that. But the last thing, which I think is key for this whole text, and listen, if you miss it, you're going to miss the point of it, is the last thing, is we have to come and be an admirer. That's a weird statement, right? Be, be an admirer. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 11a. He says, he, being God, has made everything appropriate in its time. The, the word appropriate is actually not really appropriate. The original language is actually beautiful. It's actually really cool to read it like that. We really understand it. He's like, he has made everything beautiful in its time. It means beautiful, fair, lovely, proper, but many translations say beautiful. How can God make things beautiful in its time? How can with time, can God make the most ugly situations of my life something beautiful in retrospect, what's going on? Think about this. What, um, what season of your life did you grow the most in? Like for me, can I tell you something? I always pursue joy. I want to have a good time. But my seasons where I stretched and grew the most, and I've seen my foundation in my life, is in my hardest times in my life. When I've experienced difficulty, and I look back and say, you know what, listen, I, I would not wish that on anybody, but because I went there, I am who I am today. I think of my in-laws, one of the most things, I remember sitting with my father-in-law, sitting with them and asking him, and I said, Mark, I said, what was the most foundational time of your life and your marriage? And he said, by far, I'll never forget, it was our first daughter, Katie, that was born. See, she was born for five minutes, she was a stillborn, and she died. And he said, that was a revolutionary thing. For I said, like, how, how can you say such a thing? He said, listen, I would never wish that wickedness on anybody, but in that moment, <clears throat> we had a decision in our marriage, that was going to divide us or unite us. And that moment drew us together, and to this day, that is a core situation in our life that drew us together and held us together. There's a certain beauty that comes even in the worst agony. And that's hard to follow, and it's hard to swallow, and hard to understand, but ultimately, we don't fully grasp that always. Like, there's a beauty that only God can bring in the worst possible situations. And can I tell you, for my brother dying when I was nine years old, I still don't grasp that. <clears throat> and the full beauty won't be revealed until I come to eternity with God. It's the truth of some of those things. You see, not just that, look at verse 14. He says, not only does he make things beautiful in time, verse 14, he says, I know that everything God does will last forever. There's no adding to it or taking away from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Like, I know what God does will last. And the stuff I face temporarily on earth hurts and there's a pain to it. But God works in such a way that brings beauty to things in retrospect and brings beauty in those, those things that, that brings awe to him. When I think of all, oh, I think of my daughter right now, Hallie. Like, she's five years old, and everything is, watch this. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, Daddy, watch this. I watch how high I can jump. I'm like, oh, that's going to slit a piece of paper under that, my daughter. Yeah, awesome. 
Like everything is watched this. She wants you to be amazed at what she's doing in the moment. Yet when God acts in the wickedness of the world, there is a sense of awe. Like, man, only God could do something with that. Like only God could bring something good out of something so bad. And listen, there's some things that will never be fully redeemed. But when we look and keep eternity in perspective, God works in, a, in the fallen world in such a way that brings awe to his people. Let me say it in best like this, summarize it. Accepting God's sovereignty brings meaning to life. It's plain and simple. When you come and accept, listen, I believe there's a creator out there that has authority over everything. Sometimes he lets things slide by, and other things he doesn't. I don't understand why, but in the end, I know that he's loving and good and that he is going to have a reason and bring justice to all that it is. And I may not understand it in this life, but there will come a time in eternity when I'll experience the joy and come to realize that God is good and God is working and God was present in all those situations. And understanding that and grasping that brings a peace that we as Christians can only grasp. A world is constantly reeling to try to find meaning in other things. I have meaning in understanding that when I suffer, listen, it hurts and God doesn't want that for me, but that suffering is going to have meaning someday. And God is going to do something with that. And sometimes I'll never see that and grasp it. You see, I don't have control of those situations, but I do have control of my responses and my actions in those. You see, closing is this idea is God's in control, but I'm accountable. God's in control, but ultimately, I'm accountable. As Matt and the team come up, I just want to ask you real quick to reflect for a second. Listen, in your life, honestly, when it comes to these, when it comes to your response, your actions, your, your thoughts and everything in that, are you being responsible? In your season of life, are you being responsible right now in what's going on? Are you being responsible to come say, listen, I don't want this. I don't want to maintain this forever. But listen, I need to come and say, where is it? God, where have you placed me? And what are you wanting to do right now with this? How are you going to use this awful situation? Because I know in time you're going to bring beauty that is beyond imagination. It's going to leave me awestruck. And it doesn't mean I'm going to get later in life and appreciate and understand, like, man, I get it now why that had to happen. I get it why my brother had to die. But I've come to a point and said, listen, I know God had a plan, and I trust it. And that's just the end of the day. And I know he's going to bring peace and understanding in some time and due time. And so wherever you're at, listen, it's, it's, I just ask you to respond in whatever way you need to. Like, what steps do you need to take today towards responsibility in those things? Like, quit trying to take control of your seasons of life. It's going to come. We can't stop it. There's nothing in me more than wants to stop that my kids have to ever face any of those things, any of those awful situations. But I know it's going to come, and so my best thing for them is to teach them how to respond and act and pursue God in those seasons. And so my, my challenge is this, is we just take a time with your head bowed and your eyes closed, is just to reflect. We're going to have some elders over here that would love nothing more to pray with you if you need a, an opportunity just to come and just respond. Maybe you're hurting right now. Maybe you haven't dealt with a season of life you've been through. Maybe you're in a season of life right now that is extremely painful. And listen, God is sovereign even in that. And God will bring a beauty to it that is beyond what we can imagine. Maybe COVID's got you down and you're just sick of it. Listen, how is God wanting to use this season? How can I be intentional and say, listen, this is, this is temporary. And so if you need to respond whatever way, Bradley's right over here. He would love nothing more than to walk you through what it looks like just to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you just need encouragement. Listen, I want to encourage you to do that. Come over here and let him pray for you. And so your head bows and your eyes closed. If you need to respond, I, I'm going to ask you to get up from your seat, have confidence to do that, and just let him pray for you and encourage you.
some of you like me might be bitter. I was bitter at God for a long time, still kind of struggle with it. I never found freedom until I just gave that God to listen. I don't understand why this had to happen, but I'm going to come and trust that you, your word is who you say you are. So if you need to respond, last opportunity, I encourage you to get up, come over here and talk to Bradley. For those who are online, I encourage you to talk to our pastors that are online and take advantage of that. But as I pray, you respond. Father God, you are good. And God, in seasons of life, it's hard to believe that and grasp that and to appreciate that. So God, help us to come to a place of just controlling our responses, controlling our actions in the seasons we're in. And God, even more so to look back in retrospect and see how you brought us through those. God, right now is a difficult season for the entire world. And God, we have an opportunity to be a witness. We have an opportunity to do something great in your name during this time. God, I pray if there's anybody in the sound of my voice who doesn't know who you are and struggles with this notion, God, I pray they come talk to myself, one of the elders, one of their teachers, and allow us just to encourage them, point them back to you. God, thank you for being faithful, even in the worst possible situations. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.